So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 17. We want to look at verses 11 to 19 in our time together uh, this morning. Everybody here knows the word Ebola, don't they? Don't you know? And we won't get into all the stuff related to it, but rightly so, people are afraid. And as you know, um, one of the key issues with Ebola is that people are quarantined for a period of time. Twenty, I don't know if it's 21 days or more, and I know they're always adjusting these kinds of things. But, but we recognize you've, you've got to quarantine people for a period of time so it doesn't spread. Quarantining goes way, 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 way back into antiquity, though. Do you know in the first century, if you had an infectious skin disease leading all the way to the worst kinds of diseases, they quarantined you. And, and even way, 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 way back before that, can I read a passage to you from Leviticus? The text says this, the person with such an infectious disease, this is from Levitic Leviticus 13, must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infectious disease, he will remain unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. How would you like to be quarantined for a lifetime? Because for some in the first century, when they got some of these infectious diseases from, from minor all the way to the, the, the kind that would kill you, they felt hopeless and helpless because they would be quarantined until that disease went away. And for many of them, it never would. How would that make you feel? When we come to Luke chapter 17, verse 11, that is the scenario that we have. See, this kind of skin disease, we call it, the text will often call it leprosy, it flattens out the playing field, doesn't it? You could have been a doctor, a merchant, a peasant, a scribe, but now all of a sudden, you're part of this group that is unclean, and perhaps for a lifetime. Listen to what the text says. And it came about, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, came about that while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Because it is there that he will fulfill his mission, isn't it? Where he will die he will be buried. He will resurrect. Came about that while he was on the way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Why would they stand at a distance? What would they're quarantined? Do you see? They're there, and they can't get close to anybody. And this group of ten men, who probably never knew each other before, and the one thing that brings them together is a disease. And they live together, and they stay together, 
And somebody in that group must have heard Jesus is passing by. And as he's passing by this city, this town, these men meet him from afar. And they do the only thing they can do from a distance. Verse 13. They raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Once you do that, your life is hopeless. There's no way out. It will only get worse. And somebody says, and you may not even like the people you hang out with, but there's nobody else to hang out with. And you hear Jesus is coming by. You don't know what's going to happen, but you're desperate. You'll do anything you can. And that's exactly what happens. So from a distance, they say, will you please show mercy to us? You know what's interesting? Back in Luke 5, Jesus heals a man who is leprous. Remember in that passage, he reaches out and touches the man. And although always everywhere else in Scripture, when unclean touches clean, everything becomes unclean. In Jesus Christ, everything gets reversed, doesn't it? So when the clean touches the unclean, and when the clean is Christ, everything becomes clean. But in this text, Jesus doesn't touch them, does he? Notice what he says. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now you may read that and say, well, that's kind of strange. Go and show yourself to the priests. What, what, what's, what's that all about? Well, there's a whole protocol in the book of Leviticus. Because if somebody's skin disease would go away, there was a whole system you had to go through. You had to meet with the priest, and for a series of seven days, he did this, and then finally this, and then this would happen. And then finally, you could get back, and you could be integrated with your family again. Whole process. So Jesus, working within the Jewish system, says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Follow that protocol. And I don't know about you, but about that time, if I'm one of those ten guys, I'm thinking like, uh, why would we want to do that? <laughs> I mean, like, aren't you going to do something to us before we go over there? And he calls them to start acting before anything has changed. Right? Do you see that? And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Some of the translations say they were healed. And that's true, they were healed. But they weren't just healed. They were cleansed. Because this particular disease is not one that might only lead to your death. It is one that keep you, kept you ostracized from other people. And in a culture where you want to be connected, Jesus comes in and says, as they're going, not only are they healed, they are cleansed in such a way that they can integrate back into all the relationships. That's a wonderful thing. What would that have looked like? I don't know. One of my questions when I get to heaven. I know at least one of these guys is going to be there. And when I ask him, like, like, what happened? Jesus said, go to the priest, and 
Who knows what they said? Like, I don't know if this is going to work, but we're like, whatever. Let's at least start moving in that direction. I don't know what they said exactly. But as they start going, were they five feet into this thing? 20 yards? I don't know. But they're moving in this other direction, as Jesus told them. All of a sudden, the guy's saying, holy mackerel. Pulls up his whole shirt. He looks at his face. And the guy says, your face, it's okay. Like, when did that happen? I mean, whatever. So what do you do then? Well, it depends what you really ultimately want, I suppose. And if Jesus was just a lucky charm, <laughs> and I wanted to get something from him, and I got something from him, I'm just going to kind of keep doing what he told me to do. And look, whenever I see Jesus around, he'll get a thumbs up from me. Wouldn't he? I mean, all these guys would go, when they see Jesus... They, I mean, they'd vote him in or whatever. Thumbs up. That's good. But the majority of these men continued in their life and never looked back. Story could have ended there, but Luke doesn't want us to miss the point. So notice what the text says. Verse 15. Now, one of them, one out of how many? One out of ten. When he saw that he had been cleansed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. So one of them, and it's interesting, he hasn't yet told us. Now, we all know, if you know this story, you know, well, he's a Samaritan. I know, but Luke doesn't tell us that quite yet, does he? He just says, ten guys, one of them goes back. And I was going to act this out, but I thought maybe it might be a little bit overdone, so I won't. But um, I've never laid down at anybody's feet before. I think I've gone to a knee once. But you got to be pretty impressed with somebody if you go back. Because, you know, it's not some wonderful, there's not like a rug and padding. They're outside, for goodness sakes. And this guy is so overwhelmed, not merely with the gift, but with the giver of the gift. And he goes back, and he's cutting loose. I mean, you think we sang well today, and we did. I'm telling you, if this guy was in the, in, in the worship group today, you wouldn't have been able to hear anybody but him. I mean, he, he, this guy was cutting loose, man. He was doing his own thing. And he's just going back and he's just praising and glorifying God. Probably not singing on tune. He doesn't care. He's just glorifying God. And when he gets to Jesus, he knows it's all about Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he falls right down at his feet, right smack in the dirt. And he doesn't care because, man, it's the giver that ultimately matters. Do you see that? And then Luke says, I think. I'm going to tell everybody what his nationality is. Do you see where he wait? He waits to that point because you're thinking like, that's pretty good. Verse 16, and he was a Samaritan. You're like, ooh, boy, oh boy on that one. A Samaritan, a half-breed, 
everybody knows the story of the Samaritans. You can read Josephus, one of the ancient Jewish historians. He'll tell you all kinds about these, these people. He will tell you these people, because they're half-breeds, they'll use it against the Jews, and, and they'll use it for themselves. So there's times when it's good to be a Jew, so they'll tell people, yeah, we're partially Jew. And there's other times we'll say, we're not anything Jewish. We're against them. He says, man, they, those half-breeds will use it against you all the time. Josephus tells us that. There was this great rivalry. Where should the temple be? Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem? And the rivalry was so bad, there was, a, there, was a, there was a Jewish ruler that actually came in and wiped out their temple. And later, they got so upset, some of the Samaritans went up right around the time of a major feast. Well, you, you know, dead things can't be around the temple. And they took about a bunch of animal bones and threw them out all over the temple area <laughs> and snuck away. And that messed up everything. Oh, Jews came un unclean. What are we going to do? It was a mess. Josephus says, Samaritans, Jews, mm-mm. They didn't like each other. And Luke is saying, I want to give you an example what a person of real faith does. And the example is not a Jew. The example is a Samaritan. And it is to turn our world upside down that it has nothing to do with our social, economic class, our ethnic background. Nothing to do with that, does it, at the end of the day? Because people are people. And this gospel is for all. And Jesus answered and said, verse 17, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Do you know, in the first century, if you were a foreigner, you were not a Jew. If you wanted to go up to the temple to worship, you could go up into one particular area and then there was a wall set up all the way around. And the only individuals that could pass through that wall were people that were Jews. They even had placards on there that sang, anybody who's not a Jew that goes in there, they're going to die. Because what the whole system said was there is limited access to God. And Jesus looks at this man and he tells us, there's not limited access with me, with anybody. Doesn't matter if you're a foreigner. There's no placard that says, stay out. Anyone that comes in faith is accepted. It's a great story. And he said to the man, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Folks, when he says your faith has made you well, has saved you, he's not merely talking about his physical health at this point. He's talking about his spiritual soul. What do you think about this? Earlier that day, when that man got up, all he could think about was my life is a wreck. My family's gone. 
I can't financially help anybody because nobody will employ me. I don't like these other nine guys I'm hanging out with anyway. I'm the only Samaritan anyway. It doesn't, doesn't go very well, but we got to do something. And there's just one thing after another after another. His life was hopeless and helpless. Now, after an encounter with Jesus, in which he was interested in more than the gift, he was interested in the giver of the gift. He's now cleansed both physically and spiritually. When he goes to bed at night, he's a different man. Because he's met Christ. Nine other individuals used Christ and were benefited. But they never met Jesus. Not really. One man allowed the miracle to drive him to the giver of the miracle. Do you see? So three quick lessons. And then we'll be done. Relatively quick lessons. It's all relative. No, no. Here they are. The first, first lesson is this. It is possible for anyone to depreciate God's grace to them. Is that possible? Is it possible for a gracious God and his common grace to do good things on a daily basis to people who know him and don't know him? It happens all the time. Isn't it a beautiful day today? Who gave us that? It was God. And whether it's financial stability or health or a beautiful day, God is an incredibly gracious God and he just does wonderful things for people and what most people do is they never connect it back to the giver. Oh, they enjoy it. They're glad they have it. They'd like some more. But it's all about what you get, not who you know. One of the things I find in this passage is Jesus is hurt that the other nine didn't come back. He says, wasn't there nine? Wouldn't that be natural? And he knows it so often isn't. So it's possible for anyone to depreciate God's grace. That's what nine Jews do, apparently. Number two, it is possible for anyone to receive God's grace. Do you mean a Samaritan? You mean a half-breed? Yeah. Do, do, do you mean people that are viewed as insignificant and unimportant for whatever reason? Yeah, yeah, I mean them too. I mean every kind of person imaginable. God reaches out and loves. Can you imagine what it'll be like in the book of Revelation, as, as the book of Revelation tells us in eternity, when we stand around the throne of God? Instantly, that one song tonight, John, that we sang that was wonderful. I just, you know, pointing us to the throne where we're going to end up. But Revelation tells us we will be around the throne, and who will be there? Only Americans? A couple Europeans, maybe? No, people from every tribe and nation and tongue imaginable. They'll all be there. Because the gospel is not about reaching just certain kinds of people. It's about reaching the whole sweep. Do you see? And I read this passage 
And it grieves me that people experience the grace and mercy of God and never so much as look back. And others, the ones you would never think, are the ones that come, whose lives are permanently transformed. And they with us will stand in the presence of God one day. One more lesson. Christ deserves and desires our thanks for his incredible grace. Doesn't it strike you as interesting? Last week, if you can remember back to last week, maybe not. Remember we learned from a previous parable that God owes us nothing. Right? We're merely slaves. And on the flip side, this passage tells us we owe God everything because of his incredible grace. You see, you see how that all fits? I pray, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't know Christ, you can come as that Samaritan came and stop focusing on the gift and focus on the giver of the gift. But brothers and sisters, those of you that know him, we should be, by his grace, the most thankful people in the world. You say, Doug, I've got problems. I know. Oh, my goodness, don't we? We do. But we are so richly blessed. We have so much, and there's things that can never be taken away from us. Your salvation can never be taken away. You are secure in Christ. You've been given of the Spirit as a down payment for what is to come. Can I read a passage to you, a familiar passage? It's one of my favorite in Scripture in Romans chapter 8. A passage which is all about, in the middle section, about the fact that we groan and suffer and are in pain and we can't wait till stuff in this world is gone because it's so hard. And yet God is at work through that entire process and he cuts loose. Paul just cuts loose at the end. Listen to what he says. And I would argue it is what he says here that should drive us to be people that are thankful in every situation. Thankful to him. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, I can give you a whole list of names. Huh? You may be able to. You can throw the devil in there if you want. But it won't matter at the end of the day. It only matters if he is for you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Not all things we want, but all things we need. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Can people condemn me? Yeah, but it will count for nothing. I got the best trial lawyer in the world. And it's Christ. And he says again and again, 
It's forgiven. It's forgiven. He's united to me. He's justified. And the father's saying, who's the judge, is saying, no one's touching him either. That's a pretty good, that, that's a pretty good setup for a trial. I mean, the lawyer is on your side, the only lawyer that counts, and the judge is on your side. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul thinks of all the extremes. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we're being put to death all the day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Life is hard. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who has loved us. I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death, see the extremes, nor life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor any other created thing, and Paul says, in case I forgot anything, throw that in there too, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Should we be thankful? Like nobody else on earth, folks. I get annoyed over the silliest things. I was working on this. Uh, I was The message was largely done, but I was doing some things last night. And I couldn't find something that I needed to print. I really got ticked off. And I'm working on this message. And I'm thinking, that's just like me. <laughs> and God's spirit touched me at that point and said, pink binder, hello. <laughs> Do you have those times? We of all people have been cleansed. What more can we do to fall back on our faith before him and reach out and say, God, thank you, because I know you. You know what the beauty of the gospel is? It doesn't matter what your situation is. It can always touch you, it can always change you, and it can always give you perspective no matter where you are. Which is why we can be the most optimistic people on the face of the earth. Father.